On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we hit the Bay of Plenty, home to some of New Zealand's best-loved beaches, we tuck into some regional tastes, ogle glowworms by kayak, visit Kiwi Fruit Country, and venture into the mist-wreathed wilderness of Te Uruwera. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard to a very fresh edition of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley. Great to be with you. And it's nice to see you again, Mike. We are turning our attention. The spotlight is on the Bay of Plenty. Let's start in Tauranga. Uh, I love this place. I think it's almost underrated in some respects across New Zealand, which is probably a good thing. It certainly is, because uh, if it's underrated, chances are you can go there, particularly midweek, and have fabulous Mount Manganui pretty much to yourself. Mm. On the weekends, it goes crazy. Peak summer, absolute bedlam. I went there um, at the start of spring, and the weather was winter-defying. It was sun-drenched. And I really think it is like a world unto itself around the mount. I think it's like the, the noosa of New Zealand. The real estate prices are suitably stratospheric, ridiculously priced real estate. <laughs> uh, but they're a really fit lot uh, around Mount Manganui. And I was there on a weekday morning about nine o'clock in the morning. There were literally hundreds and hundreds of locals uh, striking out on that spectacular base track around the mount. And it's the most awesome walk to take because it essentially lassoes its way around the extinct volcano. And it's such a popular walk because you get the opera of the ocean on the Pacific Ocean side of the mount. And then as you walk around, you get to the sheltered waters mm. of Pilot Bay, uh, which join Tauranga Harbour. So over the course of a 45-minute stroll, scenically, it is just majestic. And there are plenty of historic sites in Tauranga. In fact, I think there's one of New Zealand's oldest heritage buildings there. And I can't think of the name. What's that called? That's right, Chris. Yes, the Elms Mission That's Station. It, yeah. <laughs> um, this was built by one of the early missionaries to New Zealand, Reverend Brown. He came over to New Zealand in the 1820s. And nowadays, uh, what was his old residence is like a secret oasis in the city, like a secret garden in many ways. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me when I went there is that the entire setting bears a very uncanny resemblance to the Treaty House in the grounds at Waitangi. It's a very similar setup. And this was all built on what was the original shoreline of Tauranga before they did a lot of land reclamation. And on the front lawn of the Elms Mission Station, you can still see where the Kauri logs were sawn on site. They'd been rafted down from Coromandel and then chopped up on site to build uh, this magnificent house, the Elms. And the mission station also played a very pivotal role in the Battle of Gate Par when the land wars broke out in the 1860s. And uh, the government troops, they basically commandeered the Elms and used that as their launch pad uh, for the ongoing war. Now, there's great um, history behind the Great Par, isn't there? It's, it's significant 
significant, and not just for Māori, but for the entire region. That is right. And for Māori, they would probably consider Gate Pa as one of their great victories, um, although it wasn't um, long-lived because about a month later they got completely cleaned out uh, at the Battle of Taranga um, and the British troops sort of won the, won the day. But what is really interesting about going to the battle site at Gate Pa is the history because the Pa itself was actually designed by Māori as a trap to draw in the British troops. And um, they conquered them uh, at Gate Pa until they lost a month or so later. But the British Army, um, and I know a lot of military historians have verified this, they took a lot of lessons from their loss at Gate Pa in the fortifications that were used by Māori at Gate Pa, and it actually became a model for trench warfare. So if you fast forward to World War One, and we all have heard about, you know, the trench warfare in World War One, the British Army actually picked up what they'd learnt from Māori at Gate Pa to develop their trench warfare tactics in World One, which is quite an amazing legacy from Gate Pa. There are also glowworms you can look at, and I've seen plenty of glowworms in my life, but from a kayak. Well, I thought this was very distinctive, a very breathtakingly new way to do it, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, so what you do is, um, why Merino Kayak Tours operate this um, offering? And it's based at Lake McLaren, which is about 20 minutes drive from Tauranga. Lake McLaren actually feeds into the McLaren Falls, which are spectacular as well. But if you head out to Lake McLaren at twilight, um, you can have this 45-minute kayak ride uh, across the lake to the most spellbinding narrow canyon, and the rock walls of this canyon are absolutely plastered in glowworms. I was very lucky because I struck a clear night with a full moon. So as we ventured into the canyon, not only have you got all the blue twinkle of the glowworms on the canyon, mm. but then all of the stars oh, that's a nice super contra. bright yeah. in the sky. So it sort of like felt like it was all in one, you know, just a complete package. Um, an and this is New Zealand, spectacle. everybody. This is New Zealand. It is. I know it's world class. I know it's silly to say this, but I want to keep reminding people, you know, we can't travel overseas at the moment, but we've got some amazing, stunning scenery right here in New Zealand that we can experience, you know? Totally. And this is so unique. Um, yeah. People travel from all over the world to see this spectacle because it is quite distinctive the way that, yeah, those walls of the canyon and the sky sort of interact. And as it was, I mean, as we were uh, riding back on the kayak, back to the base of Lake McLaren, the full moon had risen and it was so bright that night in August that the whole lake was sort of like bathed in this celestial glow from Listen the moon. You. It was just Listen so cool. And there's some great eats uh, around there too. Well, definitely two places I would recommend if you are heading to Tauranga, Bobby's Fresh Fish Market on the waterfront. This place truly is a legend. They have been operating this family-run fish market for about four decades. The lines of people queuing outside Bobby's is just extraordinary. Even at 10 o'clock in the morning, they'll be lined up for their freshly cocked snapper. And the really cool thing about this market is that it adjoins 
the fishing wharf. So you'll see the fishing boat pull up with the fresh catch of the day. They've been out there, you know, overnight, early morning. Um, so this is as fresh as it gets. It is just incredibly popular. And a new venue in Tauranga, which is turning a lot of heads, is a totally inventive Maori-Japanese fusion restaurant, and it's called Izakai, which is a great play on the Japanese word izakaya, which is like Japan's version of tapas, and of course kai being food in Maori. Anyway, Izakai is absolutely the talk of Tauranga. They do the most amazing shared plates. My pick, by the way, was creamed power and prawn dumplings. Absolutely sensational. They do great cocktails as well. You'll definitely want to check out Izakai. And heading east from Tauranga, where's the go-go place to go when it comes to all things kiwi fruits, Mike? Well, it's been very sensibly named for you, Chris. Kiwi fruit country is where to go. Oh, finally, something that's uh, self-explanatory. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's uh, in, of course, Tapuki, And this is a brilliant attraction housed on the Long Ridge Orchard, which is one of actually uh, New Zealand's largest kiwi fruit properties. Uh, the Flemings, Amanda and Gavin, they operate Kiwi Fruit Country. It gives you such a great insight into everything involved in kiwi fruit production. The tasting room is fabulous, particularly the real fruit gold ice cream. It is just oh, amazing. Now we're talking. Have you tried the the Zespri Red, the red kiwi fruit, Chris? This no. Is, this is like the latest one. innovation. Yeah. It came out about a year or two ago. Oh. Um, it is quite limited uh, in terms of how much produce there is, but it's sort of got a bit of a raspberry taste to the kiwi fruit. But the Asians are going to love it because they like the sweeter kiwi mm. fruit, which is why the gold is the big export earner. It's the sweeter one, and Asia just cannot get enough of Zespri gold. Um, and the interesting thing is when I was at Kiwi Fruit Country, I um, learned about how the prices that kiwi fruit growers have to pay is just extraordinary to secure that licence to grow uh, Zespri gold. Um, this year, the average price paid for the license was $500,000 for one hectare of kiwi fruit gold. 500 wow. grand. So, yeah, it's just off the charts. There's a deep sense of history around this place, too. Yes, Makatu, which is only about a 15 minute drive from kiwi fruit country back on the coastline, Makatu. Just the most incredible sweetheart village. And what makes it so historically significant is it played a huge role in the great migration uh, from Polynesia to Aotearoa. And on the waterfront, there is a landing spot memorial uh, where the Arawa Waka arrived during the migration, which has been dated to 1340. Now, interestingly, when I was last in Rarotonga, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Chris, at Rarotonga, they've got a lagoon they call Ivana Lagoon. It's very close to Murray Beach. And they've got a sign at Ivana Lagoon naming the first seven waka that sailed from Rarotonga, which was like a, a stepping stone to Aotearoa from Eastern Polynesia. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the Arawa is listed on that sign in Rarotonga as departing Rarotonga in 1340 wow. for Aotearoa. So it sort of like completes the whole story, doesn't it? I thought that's very cool. Um, they've also got some of New Zealand's oldest churches in Makatu. Um, and I just thought I'd share a quick little story about 
St. Thomas's Church. I think this is so neat. Now, this church was built in the 1860s. And when you walk inside, what really strikes you, when you look up at the ceiling, you can see handprints and footprints from children in the ceiling. And this was because back in the 1860s when they were building the church, there were a whole lot of kids in the village who were playing on the coldy ceiling boards as they were being oiled. And inadvertently, they left their handprints and footprints on the cowrie timber, which is now, you know, there for perpetuity on the ceiling of this church. I thought that's very New Zealand. Interior designing. Now, how yeah. is Whakatane fearing in the wake of the White Island tragedy, since it's that way too? Indeed. Well, what you really notice um, when you arrive in Whakatane along the waterfront, that fleet of White Island tour boats, they're all tied up at the wharf, all idle, all lonely. It's a very sombre reminder of the disaster. There's no prospect of those tours resuming anytime soon. Of course, we've got investigations, maybe a commission of inquiry still pending. Um, if you do want to see the island, you can take a scenic flight over the island. Um, but because it's out of action for tours, what has taken on greater prominence is Motohora, which is also known as Whale Island. It's a gorgeous wildlife sanctuary, only about a 15-minute boat ride from Whakatane. And aside from the wildlife, uh, the tours include a visit to Sulphur Bay, where you've got these geothermal hot springs that bubble through the sand, so you can dig your own hot pool on the beach. It's actually very similar to Hot Water Beach in Coromandel, which is very well known. You can do the same thing at Sulphur Bay. It's very cool. Nice. It's interesting about trying to investigate Mother Nature. I mean, how long do you investigate Mother Nature before you decide that yeah, she will she do what she wants rules. to do? Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us about the house that came home, yeah. so to speak, in Fakatane as well. I think this is actually a really cool thing to see, and it's got such a great stack, uh, backstory. Matatua um, was a Māori meeting house, which is now considered New Zealand's most travelled Māori meeting house. It was uh, built in the 1870s by Nati Awa. But back uh, in the day, the powers that be thought it would be a great idea to showcase Matatua uh, to the world. So it was packed off to various international exhibitions in Sydney and Melbourne, and it even went as far as London. Um, and my guide, uh, Tame, uh, told me when I was having a look at the meeting house how when it got to Australia and Sydney, they completely cocked up its assembly. So it was put up inside out, and the interior walls were mistaken as the exterior walls. So all of the all of the tuku tuku panels and all of the carvings were exposed to the elements for months over the hot Sydney summer. Apparently, by the time it got to London, the V&A museum staff got it right in London, so they assembled it correctly. But finally, after being away from home for 130 years, Matatua returned to Whakatane about nine years ago. It's been fully restored. It's oh. a most beautiful meeting house. And what makes it even more breathtakingly gorgeous to look at is um, all of the carvings inside the meeting house have been brought to life with a very trippy light show that's been developed. So they do this show for you when you're inside. It's a must-see. And there's a beautiful beach just around the corner, isn't there? Yes, indeed. I think a lot of Kiwis, particularly in the North Island, consider this New Zealand's best beach, or Hopi Beach. And I only yeah. went there for the first time last month, and I can certainly see why people will love it so much. It's massive. 
Um, it just stretches for miles. It's white sand, and at the west end of Ohopi Beach, the white sand actually slopes into the sea so gradually it's more like a lagoon, so you'll just walk and walk and walk into the water, and you know the water's still below your waist. It's incredible. That's why it's such a popular beach for families this summer. Would be a great place to go, and then from uh, West End or Hoppy Beach, there's this fabulous wee 15 minute walk that takes you to Otada Wairere Bay, which is the most dreamlike cove. You will think you have found paradise at Otada Wairere Bay. You really do have to see it. And this is all in New Zealand, my good friends. Coming up, uh, we head into the wilderness with the two Etawera uh, tra- treks. But next, Mike talks to Ian from Mount Classic Tours. Stay tuned. Kiwi Tripsters will be right back after this break. Home to an abundance of kiwi fruit and avocado orchards, arguably the best beaches in New Zealand, a rich Māori heritage, and swathed by warm ocean waters, the Bay of Plenty is packed with holiday options for every traveller. From the eye candy of the Mount to the masterly art of Matatua, walking in the morning mist of Te Uruwera to kayaking at night through a canyon of glowworms. The Bay of Plenty offers a bucket load of sun, fun, adventure and one-of-a-kind experiences. By night and by day, start planning a magical holiday in the Bay. Make your first port of call the region's official website, bayofplentynz.com. Joining us from Mount Classic Tours is the Managing Director, Ian Holroyd. A very good morning to you, Ian. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Now, a bit of uh, background about yourself. How long have you been a tour operator and guide in the Bay of Plenty, Ian? Oh, well, it's almost 20 years now. We started in 2001, um, focusing on shore excursions for cruise ships, and uh, the time's just flown by. And what uh, first attracted you to the Bay of Plenty? Because I'm sure people have noticed the accent uh, just in the opening seconds of our conversation. Yeah, well, a good Londoner. Luckily, I was uh, fortunate to meet a Auckland lady 20-odd years ago, and uh, we came out to New Zealand looking for a place to live. A couple of attempts, and uh, we struck gold, really, when we came down to the Mount for the first time and fell in love with the beautiful beaches, the golden sand, uh, the Mount itself, and the city of Tauranga, which was growing at the time. And uh, another bonus, of course, it's uh, a port of call for many cruise ships. So uh, we could see the opportunity of setting up a business and also having a great lifestyle, just living a few minutes walk from one of the best beaches in the country. It certainly is. I had the pleasure of uh, spending some time with Ian a few weeks ago on a beautiful late winter's morning around the Mount. When do you think is the best time of day to uh, stretch the legs around uh, Mount Manganui, Ian? Well, it's always a good time to walk the Mount, but uh, I prefer nice early in the morning when it's still fresh and you've got uh, maybe a bit more stamina, get up those uh, 200 and 30-odd metres to the top of the mountain, or lovely to walk around in the late evening, ready for the sunset, so with the Kaimai, so you can see across the harbour. So really two choices for me, morning first thing, or late for those wonderful sunsets we get down here. I'm very keen to come back later in the year uh, to check out the mount when it's ablaze with all of the Pahutakawa. Generally, when does that take hold? Is that around December? Yeah, sometimes early summers, uh, maybe end of November, early December. The trees don't all bloom at the same time. It's part of nature's plan. Uh, they spread themselves over a couple of weeks. So uh, 
Ideally, uh, December is when it's traditionally the best time to get down here to the bay to see those magnificent red blooms on the trees along the waterfront. On the tour I took with you, the Elms Mission Station was a huge highlight for me. What do you love about the Elms? What do you think makes it so special? Well, I find the originality of the building since its inception back in the 1830s. It tells a story right the way through to present day. Uh, obviously, a significant part of the, the uh, missionary services here in New Zealand, uh, formation of those in, in the Bay of Plenty region, but continuous family ownership right through until the 1990s when the council took over. And it's one of those magnificent buildings, which uh, New Zealand obviously uh, has some, uh, but I would put it right up there with the Treaty House in Waitangi as one of the significant buildings to visit. And it has a great link, of course, to the, the battle site of Gate Pile, which was part of the the history of the region in the 1860s. Lovely, tranquil setting as well, the gardens, the trees, right in the heart of the city centre. Um, so on a beautiful day, it's nice to get out and just enjoy the ambience of that uh, that location right here in town. Absolutely. And also on the historic front, uh, the historic village is an interesting cluster and collection of uh, old buildings. What do you think are the essential stops at that village? Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm a bit biased. I always find uh, a visit to the uh, starting little cafe they've opened in recent years. They're called the Whipped Baker. If you want to have a beautiful pie for lunch or some of their wonderful cakes, that's a good point uh, to, to make a start at. Many locals, uh, of course, go there for their refreshments. But also another fun thing to see and visit is the men's shed just uh, across uh, from the cafe. And, and there you see a bunch of guys really getting involved in making things both to sell and also for community benefits. Uh, so a couple of nice things. And just to wander around the village and see some of the historic buildings, which luckily have been saved and put in one location and uh, takes us back to the bygone days, which uh, so easily get often overlooked and forgotten in New Zealand. And that's so true. On the tours you operate across Tauranga and the wider region, what do you think are some of the essential scenic highlights that people must have as part of their itinerary? Well, you can't travel the Mount uh, without seeing the beaches, of course. We make a point to, to showcase our beautiful beach and the views across the bay. But also further out of town, getting up to some of the vantage points on the Kaimai Ranges. So the Minden Lookout is a very popular uh, stop, just a few minutes drive out of the city to get that wonderful vista from the North Coromandel right the way down south towards uh, White Island in the distance. Um, McLaren Falls, another great destination, part of the hydro scheme. Uh, up in the lower Kaimais, a uh, beautiful arboretum selection of trees and lakes, of course, very popular to get out into the country, very close as well to the city centre. As I said to you when I was in Tauranga, I always believe it's great to see a new destination someone goes to through the eyes of a local, and um, you were just the exemplar of that for me, Ian. How flexible are your itineraries? I mean, if I'm planning a trip to the Bay of Plenty, you know, maybe later this year or over summer, um, can you tailor-make an itinerary for you? Will you make suggestions? How does it work? Sure, yeah, we love to do that. I mean, we have a range of standard sort of programs, which we've developed over the years, mostly for cruise ship visitors, but of course they work just as well for domestic travel. So people that may have not been to the bay before, like yourself, or for a long time, there's plenty to see and do, um, whether it's further afield up north of Coromandel, out west to Waitomo, plenty of choices. But within the region, the highlights often are Rotorua sites, um, Hobbiton just across the Kaimais, and making the most of what we have right here on our doorstep in Tauranga, you know, places like the Kiwi Fruit sector out Pangaroa, Makatu, the historic landing point of one of the canoes, 
Um, there's plenty to see and do, and of course, up north towards Auckland, you've got the mural town of Katikati, which is another uh, interesting place to visit. So plenty to do, and certainly we can cater for any interest. Even right here in the centre of the city, we've got a great aviation activity going on at the museum, classic flyers and many other aviation-related activities you can be involved in. Fantastic. Yes, I know that's a big passion of yours. Actually, speaking of Makatu, um, after I spent some time with you in Tauranga, I went to Makatu and I felt like I'd gone full circle because last year when I was in Rarotonga, I went to Avana uh, Lagoon, which is where uh, those seven waka in the Great Migration left from Rarotonga as they made their way down to Aotearoa, including the Arawa waka, which of course washed up in Makatu. So people can sort of like complete the whole story by going to Makatu, really, can't they? Yeah, that's uh, one of the significant destinations of the arrival of the canoes uh, from Hawaii. Um, obviously, on Rarotonga, yeah. I've been there myself. And the great story that we like to showcase and tell how people migrated across the Pacific and then throughout New Zealand and really created the New Zealand we have today. Fantastic. Now, I know you also offer transfers, airport transfers, uh, all sorts of private hires. If people want to get in touch with you, Ian, uh, what's the best way to do that? Well, the best thing is to check out our website. That's uh, pretty easy to get to, www.mctours.co.nz. That's mctours.co.nz. Or call us on 07574-1779. I'd be, be pleased to help. You can also check out our Facebook page on a couple of other operations. We run short trips and tours. Is our cruise program and hinterland tours. And that's Ian Holroyd from Mount Classic Tours. Thank you very much, Ian. You're with Kiwi Tripsters, and to complete our showcase of the amazing Bay of Plenty, let's give you a bit of a taster of the Te Uruera home of Tuhoi. The forest there, Mike, is impressive, isn't it? Unbelievable, Chris. I felt like I was entering another realm when I rocked up to Te Uruera. It is so remote, so rugged, immense and wreathed in mist, which is very, very central to the whole Tuhoi story. Uh, of course, Te Uruera is home of the Tuhoi people, and... Um, you will feel a sense of reverence for its lakes and its forested beauty when you see it for yourself. Lake Waikiri Moana, of course, is uh, one of the many highlights, and a lot of people will go there. But you really do want to head further and deeper into the forest to fully appreciate its majesty. I arrived there from Fakatane, and uh, the staging post is Murapara, and from there, you just enter the forest. And what really struck me, just gazing at the forest as I entered it, is the terrain is fascinating in itself because you've got really uh, steeply sloped mountains and then below that, little hills that are like crumpled used tissues. That's the sort of, you know, sort of structure of them. And then as you look across this terrain, you'll notice the mist rising from the forest and that is why the Tuhoi people are famously known as the children of the mist because they believe they actually uh, are a product of that mist and of the forest 
as opposed to migrating to New Zealand from Eastern Polynesia. Um, it is steeped in their belief. Um, so yes, as you arrive into the forest and you see all of that wispy mist rising, it does feel like you're entering part of their true story. And that's kind of nice in a way because it is so uniquely New Zealand. Tell us about the guided treks operated by Tuhoi. Yeah, I think this is a very authentic way to uh, fully appreciate the culture and the nature of Te Uruwera. I uh, met up with Hinawai McManus, uh, who operates Te Uruwera Treks. She used to be a dock ranger, so she was yeah perfectly... Um, tailored uh, to be um, a hands-on host and guide, um, and she kept me enthralled all day. Um, she has been operating this business and her family for quite some years now. She actually lives in the forest herself, um, oh. so she very much is a product of the forest. She is the forest. She is the forest, absolutely. She told me that uh, when she was three weeks of age, she was first uh, carted off into the forest in her mother's rain jacket, and she hasn't really looked back since then. Good on her. So, yeah, I mean, I think she probably would consider the wilderness as her natural calling. She lives largely off the grid. Um, on a good day, she can get one bar on her phone when she hangs her phone out the window of her forest house. Uh, but yeah, she really did give me a great sense of appreciation for the history and the nature and the culture uh, of uh, Te Uruwera. Amazing. It sounds like something out of a storybook, doesn't it? Living yeah. in a beautiful, enchanted forest-like. And, and there's lots of native... Um, ferns and, and yes. plants, isn't there? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, the forestry itself is amazing. By the way, if you've all if you've wondered about the name to Uruweta, you might have noticed that it actually translates as uh, the burnt penis. I did name. not know that. I did not know that. And I checked this with Hinawai, and apparently, uh, the name originates from a story within Tuhoi about one of the Maori chiefs who died after rolling over in his sleep while lying too close to his campfire. Oh. Hence the anatomical damage. Ooh. Ouch. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the uh, the beauty of that forest is incredible. There are so many different walks and treks, really uncrowded treks uh, within Te Uruweta. The Germans, before COVID, would flock there in their droves. Germany seemed to know more about Te Uruweta you know, in terms of German hikers mm. than the average Kiwi hiker. They just can't get enough of it. Um, but, yeah, no, it's a fascinating place. There's a huge focus on sustainability, isn't there, and mm. forest restoration. But what does that specifically mean? Because you would have thought the forest just regenerates every year. They, so what's the deal there? Yeah, well, Tuhoi absolutely are sticklers for trying to give Mother Nature a helping hand. So... As an example, as part of doing a day trek with Hinawai and Te Uruwera treks, you are invited to plant a native seedling yourself. So I did, right. and um, she's got um, a site of beer land that she is wanting to turn into a future forest. Oh, so what nice. she's done is she's got like this nursery of little native seedlings that are growing in the forest, and the idea is you transfer one of these seedlings from the forest into this area of beer land. And uh, Hinuwai said to me, now look, if you are truly communing with the forest when you walk into my nursery, you will feel naturally drawn to the seedling that wants to be relocated by you. The Yardley tree. Yes. So and did you feel moved towards something? I, I tried to surrender myself to Mother Nature, Chris, 
and I found myself being and naturally drawn <laughs> to Mr. Lancewood. Little Mr. Lancewood Did was you? growing in There's the something little and subtle. <laughs> yes, story and, of your life. And she exactly. And she said to me, "Now don't force try don't try and force him out of the earth. No, just grab a hold of his neck." Right. And he will come to you. Okay. So little Mr. Lancewood, I grabbed the, the top of the seedling and it was like he just effortlessly released himself from the earth and, and then you planted him one in your with head. nature. Yes. Yes, took, a, took, took him over to the bare land and I planted him. So cool. that Lancewood will have a bright future, Chris, yes. because of me. <laughs> the By Mike the way, something else to Hoya doing, which I thought is really interesting. At the moment, the rainforest route, which is the main road, right, through the forest, mm. it's, it's gravel. And they're wanting to give it a seal to make it a more conducive experience for the traveller. But they're not doing it with typical road seal, word seal, and, you know, on our streets. Mm. They've developed this amazing tree pulp sealant. So it's going to be like a green road. Um, oh, that's a good so idea. So they're pioneering that. So that's going to be rolled out in the next couple of years. Nice. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, one more forest you want to talk about as well. I mean, there's so many magical forests in this area. There are. But, yeah, just adjoining uh, the entrance point into Te Uruweta Forest is Fitanaki Forest, which is governed by Doc. Um, and I spent hours in this truly magical forest. What makes it so special is the age of the trees. We're talking, you know, thousand-year-old trees, primeval, ancient potocarp giants. And I actually, when I was in this forest, thought of that Japanese term forest bathing. So a lot of Japanese people, oh, yes. for example, you I've know, if you're this. living in Tokyo or Osaka, mm. they will go to a forest to bathe. Mm. And their idea of walking through a forest under a massive canopy is bathing. It's bathing. And yeah. it's, I've done this. Have you? Yep. And I get it. I understand it. Mm. Basically what it is, is just getting rid of the commercialization of the totally. outside world and walking in a forest. Yep. And, you know, it, there's something to be said for that. It's like a cleansing, isn't it? Yeah, and it feels like that too. Yeah. It helps that the forest is sort of magical and enchanting. You know, it really Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Now, I tell you what, Fudanaki Forest ticks all of those boxes. If there's only one walk you want to do, and this will only take you an hour, the truly outstanding circuit yeah. is the Sanctuary Track in Fudanaki Forest. David Bellamy, uh, the English botanist, he described Fudanaki as, quote, one of the great forests of the world. So that's go. how special it is. And, um, yeah, you'll come away with a great appreciation of its beauty. Right here in New Zealand. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really enjoyed um, that, Mike. Uh, I want to go on Google now and start Googling all these amazing experiences. Be sure to like our Facebook page and our show notes are available at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Absolutely. And if you want to check out more about the Bay of Plenty, go to their website, bayofplentynz.com. All of these things we talked about uh, today on the podcast, they're all in a very short um, you know, close proximity to each other. So it makes for a very short and sweet holiday. Uh, by the way, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast uh, service of your choice. And we will catch you again in a couple of weeks' time for a fresh episode. Take care. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters.
Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. 